Welcome to the Beervana Podcast. Hi, Jeff. Hey, Patrick. How are you doing? I'm all right, man. It's been a while. <laughs> it has been a while. Well, no, it hasn't. Just last week we were in Vend. Uh, <laughs> no one's buying that. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's actually been, what, like five weeks or something since we've been in the studio. We've had big adventures. That's right. Uh, we uh, toured uh, different parts of the Northeast, different and similar parts of the Northeast. Anyway, this is the Beervana Podcast. You are Jeff Allworth, uh, author of several books, including Beer Bible and The Widmer Way. And you're Patrick Emerson. You're a professor of economics at Oregon State University. There. And now we've introduced ourselves the way you like it. I, I have no particular preferences. And once again, we're joining you from the and, the, the cool, well, actually, the studio's not that cool, but the no. cool basement of the Falcon Arts Community Building in North Portland at the X-Ray Studios. That's right. X-Ray FM. In a, on a pre, kind of a sweltering day in Portland, Oregon. Well, sweltering. For Portland, no, for Oregon. Portland, this is definitely sweltering it got up to 90 something yesterday two i think Ooh. i know i know once it crosses 90 we die <laughs> and we both uh simon says 95 my uh our our resident photographer my elder son simon's in the studio with us say hi simon hi. <laughs> that's about all you're gonna get out of him uh he claims it's 95 all He's right correct, well, correcting you old man uh but we both decided to ride up here all three of us rode up here um, i had much farther to go it's true you live down in the, the south southern hinterland and so we're quite moist. Yeah. <laughs> Getting thirsty. Uh, okay. So uh, over the past few weeks, uh, the podcast has featured interviews that Jeff and I recorded during our visit to Bend. I hope you enjoyed them. Uh, we really enjoyed going and uh, meeting all the people. But while those were airing, that gave us a chance to have our summer holidays, uh, and we've been traveling around. Uh, and what do you do uh, when you come back from a summer holiday? You give uh, a report. You talk endlessly and bore people with your stories. <laughs> no way, man. So that's what we're here to do what, for you. <laughs> what we did for our summer vacation. Well, what perfect. Jeff and I, what Jeff and I do in, on on our summer vacations is often uh, seek out beer. Yes. Uh, I'm sure Simon will be rolling his eyes over there. Uh, I try not to drag my family too much. He, he kind of did. I'm the only. Yeah. <laughs> I'm the only beer drinker. My wife doesn't particularly uh, drink or enjoy beer that much, so. Uh, it's always a little bit of a, uh, a balance. Anyway, uh, so we're going to uh, talk about, <clears throat> excuse me, yeah. this is what happens when I ride my bike. Uh, we'll be catching up on some of the things we missed while we were gone, discuss what we did during our rambles, and talk about the beer scene uh, in the hinterlands. Yes, or if you're from the East Coast, uh, the, the central back, lands. Backyard, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Where in, it's at. <laughs> we're, we're in the hinterlands. <laughs> this is true. It's all a matter of perspective. Uh, so we'll get to that. Uh, before we do that, of course, we have to do the news. The mid-year sales reports have come out, and the news was fine. The craft segment was up 1.4% and 1.6% if you include only Brewers Association-defined craft. The big winners were FMBs, and particularly hard seltzers, uh, which, are, which are white hot right now, growing at over 200%. All right, Mr. Acronym, FMB. Come on, man. We've done a podcast Something on Something malt this. beverage. Flavored. Flavored malt beverage. Okay. Yeah. I got yeah. the malt beverage part. I was about to say fine malt beverage. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it, it, many people would characterize them that way. Uh, the, I think you, uh, I, if I recall correctly, somebody asked you on, or no, you asked other people. That's right. You did a little poll on Twitter about how long this flavored malt beverage 
thing with laughs, right? You have an amazing yeah. memory. It, sometimes you you don't have any idea what's happening around you. Sometimes <laughs> you remember really obscure things. <laughs> but that's what happens when you get old. You only have a few brain cells uh, capacity left, so you just fill it with like little acorns. I'm like a squirrel. So I have like squirrel brain. So there's a few things that are just stored there that I've stored for the winter. Very nice. And well, then I dig them up. It's, and this it's, is one of them. It's, it's true. <laughs> I also have an old brain, and I'd completely forgotten that. But you're right. I did do that. Uh, but the reason it stuck in my head was because I agree entirely that this is old. Uh, we've, we've lived through yeah. an era of, well, actually, we've probably lived through another a few eras. But one of the eras that we definitely lived through during our college days was the uh, wine cooler. Era. Right. So let's, I mean, we actually, and if you want to dig deep into our archives, we did do uh a whole podcast on flavored malt beverages, and I think we gave a deeper history of it. But we, in our lifetimes, we've gone through uh, wine coolers, and there was the Zima phenomenon. Yeah. And then... Uh, it was slightly concurrent with wine coolers. It's true, but I think wine coolers died and Zima came. Zima going. came, yeah. Uh, and then um, there, I, I think actually cider was functioning as a flavored malt beverage. That came in sometime in the 2000s. Right. There's hard lemonade, hard... Whatever, there's, and then there's all the beer products like the Ritas and the Shandies, and yes, they 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 come, they flourish for a while, have amazing stats, and then they crash. Yeah, um, some some continue to survive for whatever reason. Uh, teas and and uh, lemonades seem to kind of have a persistent uh, yeah sales thing without ever becoming a full on uh, uh, phenomenon. Like we don't see a ton of hard lemonades, but they're out there. We're kind of we're kind of getting off the plot, but I'll just say I I'm slightly scared that uh, cider will also have an arc, uh, maybe not crash entirely out of the out, but I feel like it's having a moment that might be starting to wane. Yeah, I'm really worried about that too. Um, the the way that uh, beverages, craft beverages, succeed is <clears throat> they come they usually come in at the low, the, kind of as as a not super sophisticated product because people's palates are not yet re- very refined. Right. And then as people become more and more, have more and more refined palates, they like better and better stuff. So, for example, in coffee, we had Starbucks, which was pretty harsh and roasted. And, uh-huh. and then over time, it became really sophisticated. So now you're having right. uh, single varietals that are that are roasted particular to the bean and all that stuff. Um, so I expected that to happen in, in cider where we saw the Angry Orchard come along and it's built for a mass audience. It's right. very sweet, not very complex. And then eventually people would begin to enjoy these more sophisticated things that have wine-like character. And in fact, uh, those those companies are not doing well. My, my very favorite cider in the world, uh, Easy Cider down in Salem, did not uh, uh, come out last year with a vintage, uh, just not enough... Uh, velocity for sales. Wow. Kevin Zielinski sold his juice to other people, so he was okay, but it was still depressing not to have easy. Uh, Woodbox is another high-end one that just went out of business here yeah. in, in Oregon. So, yeah, I mean, it seems like people are, that, that top end is not happening, and, and then, you know, then, then it just does function as a flavored malt beverage. It's just a sweet thing with alcohol. Yeah. Uh, I know that you know that there's a lot of variety in cider, but, yep. but a lot of what you see on local store shelves is in a limited range for the most part right and so yeah it really is and i expected here in the northwest where it's actually succeeding pretty well uh, i expected that one or two with those one or two tap handles that you see in every restaurant and bar to begin to be more and more sophisticated just like happened with beer yeah but it you know it's it's above the angry orchard level but it's still 
uh, fairly sweet flavored ciders most often. Yeah. So, yeah. so let's go back just to the to the main point for a second. Yes. Uh, which is that craft beer is is still growing, uh, but slowly. Right. Uh, and it's doing better than macro lagers uh, in general. Yeah. But but the segment is definitely in a in a slow growth period. It does seem to have hit a plateau. Uh, I one of the stories I read was comparing mid mid year sales this year to mid year sales last year, and they were b- basically identical. So, yeah, um, there was some idea that maybe uh, last year that you know if it was slowing down to that point last year, then this year it might be you know completely flat or actually losing volume. But so far that hasn't happened. Yeah, uh, although there are uh, markets that aren't nearly as saturated as places like Portland, obviously. Uh, what is interesting to me traveling around the U.S. is that pretty much everywhere now has at least a couple, a couple, three craft breweries. Oh, yeah. And so that part of that, there, there are sort of no more uncharted territories. So now it's all contested markets that, that you're getting into. And so it's, yeah. Yeah, I think that's... It's, it's definitely matured. Yeah. I don't. I would no longer call it a maturing market. I think it's matured nationwide. Right. <clears throat> okay. And so. that's actually a, a nice uh, bookmark for our future discussion, our, our discussion later to this podcast about what we discovered when we found uh, mature markets in Maryland and Maine. Yeah, so exactly. So we'll talk about that then. All right. Okay, point two. Uh, the USDA released their latest hop acreage report, and it tells quite a story. This seems like a time of great variety in hops, but there's actually been a winnowing of many of the older varieties. Just uh, half a dozen varieties account for 58% of all U.S. acreage. Wow. Yeah. Cascade, Centennial, Citra, uh, CTZ, which we can talk about what that is if, if we need to here in a minute, uh, Mosaic, and Simcoe. Uh, and Citra is now far and away the most planted <laughs> hop. Patrick's feeding ahead with 9,000. No, it's the most planted hop. It's amazing. Yeah. Everything yeah, yeah. Citra. Everything Citra. It's true. Um, so there's 9,000 acres strung of Citra, uh, and this compares with 5,300 for Cascade, which was as re- recently as a couple of years ago the top hop. Yeah, so it's the it's the big shift from the piney floral flavor profile to the citrus flavor profile. Yeah, and just Nouveau. I mean, we're seeing um, if it, yeah, to... All, all of the exotica, the Sabro hop has a lot of coconut in it, which is, you know, mm-hmm. a different kind of flavor profile. So all these new hops that have can add can add a little a little flavor note that's interesting and unique. Um, whereas Cascade is almost like a noble hop in its distinctiveness. And, uh, you know, you, you, you got Cascade in there, you got Cascade in there. With these other ones, you can kind of compose this palette of a whole bunch of different tropical fruit flavors. Yeah, for me, maybe it's just because I've had so much experience with it, but Cascade is the most identifiable hop. Absolutely. Like, I Saws, maybe. Pick but, up yeah. a beer. Yeah, in a different context, but yeah, you pick up a beer and all of a sudden, oh, that's Cascade. Yeah. Uh, what's CTZ? Go ahead. Uh, Columbus, Tomahawk, and Zeus. These are proprietary hops that are appear on different names, but they are the same genome. Oh, I see. So uh, gotcha. you can, and, and, and it's weird, the hop reports list CTZ, and sometimes they'll also list one of the others, like Zeus, separately, mm-hmm. which is bizarre. I don't know why they don't collapse them. So you have to kind of add all that stuff up, which when I reported this out, I did. Huh. So, yeah. Uh, it's a bittering hop. So there's super high alpha, like 18% alpha. And so they sell a lot because they're classic uh, alpha variety. And we haven't talked about this, but everything else on this list is uh, an aroma hop and used principally for uh, flavor and aroma in craft beer. Yeah. So, I mean, this is this is what I'm going to say about, let me make a little statistical note here, which is, yeah, the, the vast 
majority of hops are found in this small range, which are sort of the main flavoring hops. Mm-hmm. But I imagine that there's pretty big tails, right? Like lots of yeah, little the hops. Ta- the tail is huge, and particularly with new hops, yeah. I, I don't know how often you look at a, a list of uh, the hops that are in a beer and see something that's like weird, and you're, you think, "What the hell is that?" I, yeah, I, more and more these days. <laughs> yeah, I, some new some new hop that just got its name that you haven't heard of. There's a lot of those, and you know, uh, most of them are pre- proprietary. And with each one, uh, the company that produced it is hoping to have another Citra on their hands. So um, there's big money in that if you can get Citra, but because uh, these hops sell for twice or more per pound, right? So brewers are really paying a lot for. So them. you're seeing both. But statistically, you're seeing both parts of the of the equation, which is people are trying really hard to come up with the next big hop, right? And those that win, you see, win big. Yep, like it's kind of a winner take all market, as we would say. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> uh, which we can explain some other time. Yeah. Uh, although, by the way, if you're really curious, I did a long time ago. I did something about winner take all markets and used John Harris as a, the brewer as a. So, if you want to dig down into my my uh, uh, blog that's basically a defunct blog, but it exists and it has good has good stuff on it. Yeah, it's got it's a, some it's a old, research old stuff. Avenue. But that was one of my, my my most popular blog posts ever, which was describing sort of the the worth of a of a star brewer. Right, and we actually did a podcast later on that because it was such a good concept. Oh, did we? <laughs> we did. Okay, see that wasn't one of the acorns that my squirrel brain stored. <laughs> <laughs> So it's just random. That's what's nice about being old. It's always an adventure. Yeah, I create this the sheets, and I think it lodges more firmly in my brain than, than it does in yours. You just show up happy go lucky, and that's true. We shine the spotlight on you, and you go. That's how I like to live my life. Yeah, just uh, just showing up. <laughs> that, somebody said that's half the battle, right? Hey man, <laughs> you're a tenured professor. What, that's that's what it's all about now. Uh, I try to convince my colleagues that's. Uh, just showing up is should be its own reward. That's right. I should be accelerated. I'm here, aren't I? Okay. Uh, the gentleman's seat. Wait a minute. Is this mine? Yes, it's yeah. mine. Okay. So next news item in the mid <laughs> gentleman's seat. In mid July, the state of New York fined Heineken 1.25 million for running a scheme to score handles, tap handles, by providing retailers the proprietary brew lock draft system for free. There is a huge amount of this kind of wink and nod corruption in the beer industry, and states are starting to shut it down. Yeah, yeah, yeah a lot, uh, a clever way to. Nobody ever wants to go on the record, but if you talk to brewers, retailers, and and wholesalers about ways some some one one member or more of these conspire to gain tap handles or uh, grocery store shelves, there are a lot of ways that are not technically illegal or fall into a gray area, uh, which they manipulate, and some which just are blatantly illegal, like this Brewlock scam. Yeah, so, yeah. It's what's interesting is that it's taken us forever, and we still haven't achieved our big distribution podcast because it's a really touchy it's a minefield and people are very wary it's it's a it's an industry in flux it's a lot of complicated relationships and nobody really wants to be out and out in public saying something wrong that upset somebody somewhere yeah they're they're partners but they're also there's there's they're also competitors so it's a conflict of and interest everybody's and everybody's trying partners. to make their money yeah. and everybody's in bed with everybody else and yeah so there's yeah, amazing, <laughs> an amazing trove of stories. So hopefully some bigwig will retire and not care anymore. And also nobody wants to talk about the way they are uh, running scams. So that's another thing. That's, that's my point. Yeah. So if someone's oh. like finally out of the industry and done with it, like retired and off in Hawaii or something, give us a call and let us <laughs> tell us your stories. 
Yeah, they're 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 legion, and it, and it is the case too that uh, some states and some cities are cl- cleaner than than others. Uh, the, when I was doing my Widmer book, they they were talking about I don't know if it's still true about how corrupt Chicago was, and it was just a pay or play right off the bat. I and, mean, it's Chicago, right? <laughs> I know, right? That, but you don't want to fall into the uh, stereotyping. But yeah, in this case, uh, even to get the wholesaler, they had to uh, like chip out a couple of million dollars just to get in the business and they, they they found it so repugnant they didn't go into Chicago. So my, my Chicago corruption story is growing up in Madison, Wisconsin, uh, Chicago is three hours away so sometimes you drive down Chicago as you would do because Chicago is a fantastic city. One of my favorite One of my favorites. Uh, but the, the, uh, the common knowledge at the time was that you clip a $20 bill, you paper clip a $20 bill to the back of your driver's license. So if you're ever pulled over, you pull out your driver's license, hand it to the cop, they take it back to the car, and a few minutes later they say, okay, I'm going to give you off, let you off with a warning, and lo only, and behold... Only just the, a paper clip? The $20 <laughs> is gone. <laughs> uh, for inflation now, that would be more like 50 bucks or something. But So did you try that? Uh, I never... I never did I mean I never got pulled over so yeah. no I never had an opportunity to because it would be interesting it. to hear and I never actually clipped a twenty dollar bill to my yeah it would be interesting to hear if somebody did that and got an honest cop because that could be awkward well then you're like oh no I just keep that there it's for like it's my you know, money clip yeah it's my well it's my little rainy day fund in case I forget you know there's yeah. a million excuses that's the idea that's why you never you don't actually say anything it just happens to be there gotcha apparently that was the that was the deal now those of you who grew up in Chicago maybe you can disabuse me of that notion but that's what we in Wisconsin believed these the the lessons from economists they just it's you're a bountiful font. All right, let's talk about the proprietary Drew Lock Brew Lock draft system. What exactly was that supposed to be? Is well, it's just a system that it, it, you have to they they have the, their own kegs and in order to make the kegs work you have to have your own uh, tap handle. So they provide this to you. You're supposed to, they're supposed to sell them, but they're not actually selling them. They're just giving them away. So you're getting a free tap handle. But all you got to do is serve Heineken for. That's because it's the only thing we'll pour on that. But you can only, yeah, you can only serve Heineken. So it, you know, Heineken is happy to get a tap hand, pay for a tap handle, pay. And they're they're five hundred bucks according to the article uh, that right. reported this out. Um, happy to pay five hundred dollars for a tap handle, especially. Uh, I don't know if they were doing this for Lagunitas, which is owned by Heineken, but Heineken has a a, a tiny market share here. Heineken is going to kill in the United States, so I'm sure that they would be happy to pick up. Uh, some nice tap handles. Boy, uh, it was so big when I was growing up. Yeah, it's really changed. Uh, it's kind of an unfortunate nomenclature, brew lock. <laughs> it's true. Kind of locking in. <laughs> <laughs> I understand you're probably supposed to be thinking lock in that flavor. It's uh, but, also kind of inadvertent honesty. So Yeah, uh, there you go. A wink and a nod. All right. Well, the last one is this. Finally, there have been a number of unsettling stories of racial discrimination and sexual harassment uh, in the in this period since we've last done uh, our podcast, but we'll report on just one as an example. Uh, this was the most egregious in my view. Uh, earlier this summer, Clyde Johnson uh, went to the Angry Orchards uh, Orchard in upstate New York to propose to his girlfriend. As he tried to create a romantic moment, he was interrupted by a security guard who accused him of stealing a T-shirt, and that security guard went on to repeat repeatedly ha- harass the couple uh, uh, throughout the time they were there. I think he came back. Uh, three or four times. Um, this came out when uh, Clyde uh, put a Facebook uh, Facebook post about it, and mm-hmm. it went uh, viral. And then uh, the company, which is uh, Angry Orchard, is owned by Boston Beer, fired the guard and issued a po- an apology. Um, when I read the story, I felt like that was 
the very least they could have done, and it almost felt like it was not enough. It just it struck me as I don't know how this guy ever got a job, and it seemed like my when I tweeted it out, I said I would have paid for their wedding if I would have been Boston Beer. It was just a, it was yeah. so beyond the pale. Yeah, yeah, it seems like you could do a lot more than just a, an apology. Yeah, yeah, uh, that's still an issue with craft beer. Craft beer is still largely white and male. Yep, uh, and as it would, I don't think this uh, is necessarily a fault, but it's a white male culture, and it and it's uh, slow to change as cultures are. Yeah, this this kind of stuff uh, is is something that you have to be intentional about, you know, improving on. And it, and we it's it's also it's male as you point out. So there's also a lot of sexual harassment. And as companies, you just have to be, uh, you know, really really firm about that stuff because the force of culture will just carry your company along if you you know don't put a, a stop to that stuff in advance yeah that's right that's a very good point you can't just uh if you're not uh intentional and active then exactly you get the default culture which isn't necessarily a good thing right well good good for boston beer for issuing that uh apology but uh bad <laughs> bad for having a really racist uh cop so. yeah <laughs> All right. Uh, So let's move on to our summer our summer travels. Let's do it. Yeah. Let's Uh, start out while we're it's twenty minutes in. Yeah. It's 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 cool down here in the the Falcon Arts building basement, but the X Ray FM studio here is a little bit steamy. It is. So so uh, let's do something about that. I'm still sweating from my bike ride. Here you go. All right. So because we we both went. So I went to. I started out in. Uh, we, oh, this is so nice. We missed. We both went to Maine. Yes. Uh, and missed each other by two weeks there because we're terrible at planning. We did. Uh, you also went to Boston beforehand, and I went to Baltimore beforehand. So uh, the beer you're about to pour is one that features in both of our stories. Ah, yes. And there's Edwina giving us the three-dimensional experience. So what I have just poured is a main beer company lunch. Absolutely. So, uh, main beer company is one of the kind of signature brands in lovely Maine, brewed there in Freeport, which is just north of Portland in southern Maine. So, yeah, signature brands, but not one of like the big, big ones. It's pretty big. I think I think they're like thirty thousand barrels. Oh really? Yeah. Bigger than I would have guessed. Yeah, uh, but you're right. Uh, not not a super big one. So, yeah. um, I don't know if we want to start there, but anyway, let's start with this beer for sure. Uh, yeah. Well, since you since we opened up the beer, why don't why don't why don't we start uh, with Maine? And All right. We can backtrack to Baltimore and that Boston. That sounds good. Yeah. All right. Start at the end and mm-hmm. work to the beginning. Okay. So first off. So first off, I told you to stop here, and you a forgot that, and b didn't realize how hard it was to get Maine Beer Co. outside of the brewery and you stopped i just gotta this is it's not quite <laughs> oofleku bad but you stopped three miles away to get a, a, a no it's like a quarter mile away to get a lobster roll <laughs> which was a good place you encouraged me to stop there we did uh and we did not get lobster rolls we got uh, fried scallops which were amazing it says something about our relationship that i recommend and you stop and you recommend and i fail well it's true but you told me to get a lobster roll and i blew you off there did I tell you? I, I recommended the lobster roll. Yeah. yeah but, uh, this is a nice beer. So we're drinking Lunch, uh, which is their their IPA, which is a kind of renowned beer on the East Coast. Yeah. So Yarmouth is main beer company officially in Yarmouth? 
I think they're in Freeport. Actually, I think they're across the border in Freeport. Okay, so uh, days. <laughs> you got you got to you got to be deep in the weeds to know what the, the difference between Yarmouth and Freeport. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just mean because days lobster and days D A Y apostrophe S lobster and crab meat was where I recommended you stop. Right. Uh, and it's just down the road, literally just down the road from May, Main Beer Company. Yeah. And so I didn't even know where Main Beer Company was because I hadn't bothered to even do the basic research because typical oh i'm with my family i'm trying to get from point a to point b i didn't expect to be driving right by the main beer company i'm looking at simon simon you got to start backing your your father up on this you got to start demanding no, we, gotta, gonna, we gotta go to main beer no, company no he's gonna throw me under the bus because it was my wife who said patrick there's the main beer company and i was like huh and she said we should stop and i was like no no it's okay <laughs> but that was part b it's really good that we have a, a his presence forced you into honesty there, so that's good. So yeah, there, I think Simon's going to have to come more often. So there is something about my personality which you will recognize, which is I'm sort of I get into kind of mission mode, which is I was trying to get to uh, to Harborside, Maine, to our property. It was all, it was going to be a long drive. We're going to stop for groceries, all that stuff. So uh, I was kind of in that mindset. And uh, part B was as you mentioned, I had no idea how hard it was going to be to find Maine Beer Company beer. Uh, in stores locally, luckily I did, by the way. But, but it was um, it was a risk. Yeah, so. it was a risk, and you did, and that's all good. So all's forgiven. Thank you. But, um, Thank you for forgiving me. Yeah, I will be back, and I will stop for sure. It's a it's a it's one of my favorite breweries in in these United States. Um, it's unusual in a couple of ways. They they don't have they, they have a kind of stable beer line, which they have only uh, added to very slowly over time. They don't make 100 beers a year. They don't make 50 beers a year. They make, you know, they, they have their core lineup, which is probably 15 beers, and then they make a few others on yeah. the side. Um, and they just make, they, they have this approach where they, they dial a beer in, uh, and when they release it, it is exactly where they want to be, and that's the beer that they're going to sell. And so uh, I remember when Lunch came out, this brewery was founded I think, in 2011, and Lunch was not one of their debut beers. And when it came out... Um, Every couple of years, at least, I go to Maine, and I remember the year it came out. It was the talk of Maine. Everyone's like, "Oh, you got to get Maine Beer Co. Lunch. It's amazing. Really? It's amazing." And so, then dinner came out about six months later, and they went even more crazy about that. Dinner is their double IPA version of it. Mm-hmm. This is an IPA. So uh, it is, and it, it was. It came out early enough that uh, New England IPA was not a thing. Right. <clears throat> Nobody was talking about New England IPAs, and yeah. this is another reason why I was confused when. Everyone was saying, oh, my God, New England IPAs are so new. And I kept thinking, what are you talking about? Yeah, that's one of the things that I wanted to mention about. Uh, well, first, why don't we describe this beer as mm-hmm. you drink it? So Maine Beer Co. has a really Northwestern palate. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> like kind of old school Northwestern. They make they make beers that uh, would be very familiar here. I think mm-hmm. these beers would sell really well in the Northwest. Mm-hmm. So it's a, it's, a, it's a hazy IPA in the mode of the Northwest, which is not to say... It just got a, it's got some haze, but it's kind of a natural hop haze. Yeah, it's not intentionally hazy. It's not right. going for that style. It's just a. It's it, but it's cloudy. very it's very fruity, very juicy, uh, and then it has this nice spine of bitterness on the back, and so it's just fantastic. It's a pretty soft IPA. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's so really drinkable. Yeah, I would even call it a little bit piney too. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. definitely has some old school hops in there. Uh, I think some new school hops as well, but which always makes me think of conifers. And it's got um, it's got a huge nose, which you know it was when it was released, which you know would have been five or six years ago. 
uh, it would it would have been considered an extraordinarily uh, aromatic beer. Now it's fairly typical for the beers that are made, but it was an early example of a very aromatic, juicy beer. Yeah. Uh, so my impressions of Maine mm. and the Maine beer scene sort of coincide a little bit in the sense that Maine is a huge state. It's got lots of natural terrain, especially around the coast. Uh, means it's not, it's not actually that huge, but Mainers think it's huge because it's so much bigger than all the other states in uh, New England. It's a, it's a, exactly, it's a huge state <laughs> in situ, given given where it is, uh, and uh, it sort of ends up being lots of uh, small local communities. There's a very strong sense of community of of local and community there. I think that uh, doesn't exist elsewhere, partly just because it's kind of can get be, be difficult to get from point A to point B in Maine, uh, and so uh, I. I saw the, the the little I saw of the beer scene seemed to sort of reflect that. There are lots of little breweries in lots of places that you didn't necessarily expect. Um, in fact, there was one right near our property called Strong Brewing, which again I failed to stop at. No, <laughs> of course, uh, probably the best brewery in Maine, but you'll never know. I'll know. No, I'll know next year when I go. All right. Uh, so um, uh, I was really impressed just with the diversity of. Uh, of small breweries that exist um, and how sort of connected they seem to be to the local community. I agree. And uh, I, having been going to Maine for 20 years and seeing uh, what's going on there, I've been incredibly impressed with that. There was a year, I'm going to say six years ago, probably, uh, it would have been the off year, so five or seven years ago, <laughs> where Sally's brother took us to this cool uh, old, uh, like, would have been a tavern or an inn, probably built in the 18th century, in some small town, in the middle of nowhere, in the middle of Maine. And they had, uh, and it was, it was uh, we were there for Thanksgiving, so it was, it was snowy out, middle, felt like the middle of winter. And they had this extraordinary tap list uh, that had just incredibly impressive beer on it, including uh, a company that only did uh, Brett a, a Brett uh, Brett beers, no no Saccharomyces. Uh-huh. They had a porter, and my family, my in laws are all porter fans, and they tasted it. So we, I was able to say, okay, now let's see. I will explain to you what this. There's a flavor of Brettanomyces in here, and we'll tease <laughs> that out. But it, you know, it was the kind of place that uh, the only other, honestly, the only other state I could imagine that situation happening was Oregon. Yeah. So what uh, the other thing that impressed me was was that it and you know this is a small sample so I could be totally off base but in my small sample it wasn't awash with New England hazies. No, absolutely not. It had its own own scene. I I saw two main strains uh, strands of uh of sort of beer scene. One is the the, the fact that you know there is one dominant brewery which is Allagash. Mm-hmm. It's everywhere. And, but it's not your typical brewery at all. Totally. Uh, like you can get Allagash White anywhere you go. Um, in fact, that's what I had at Day's Lobster and Crab Meat with my lobster roll. It was an Allagash White. We should talk about Allagash White. Describe your experience. Uh, I would I would call it the most important beer in, in Maine right now. Uh, <laughs> describe my experience drinking the beer. Well, I had it uh, from a can Yeah. Uh, at Day's Crab Meat and Lobster, and it was uh, perfect. Allagash White is brilliant in that it's sort of uh, a beer that goes with anything at any time, right? Like you can drink it. It's 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 kind of uh, in the in the vein of uh, Saison Dupont and the fact that it's sort of like uh, 
uh, incredibly easy drinking, but also incredibly complex if you it is if you if you stop and pay attention. So it just totally depends on what kind of experience you want. It's very dry. It's so v- it's very dry. It's, it's not it's not like many of the the white ales, the Belgian wheat beers, which are sweet and made for immature palates. It's like that's very sophisticated beer. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, and uh, so that's a that's a very just. I mean, to have that be like the the beer of the state is quite unique. Mm-hmm. And then I found um, main beer company was uh, a lot of you know I had four different two pails and two IPAs from main beer company. They all had what I would uh, sort of maybe uh, parochially call, parochially call a Northwest flavor palette. This kind of little bitter back and some pine and uh, which was I I thought delightful. And so just as I described having sort of a strong sense of small community I think that's also a strong sense of being unique and having their own thing and not worrying about what the rest of New England's doing I may have told this story on the pod you probably won't remember but um, I'm going to tell it again because that's what old men do they tell the same story over and over again (laughs) when I was on my squirrel brain yeah yeah, and it's because it's always new to us so uh, just we're going to be cultivating an old uh, forgetful audience this way anywho uh in 2015, when I was on my beer Bible tour, uh, it was one of the one of those opportunities I had to see what was happening all around the world, all around the country, and it was really cool to get a, a snapshot of what America was like. And I went up the coast, and I started uh, in uh, the uh, in, in Virginia, and I went all the way up to Maine at, at this one swing. And I, when I got to uh, New Jersey, New York, New Jersey, I would go into a place, and I would ask, "What's local?" And they would look at the menu, kind of surprised. This is a change in New York City, but uh, in 2015 it was definitely the case. A- and uh, scrutinize it for a long time, and then see one and say, "Okay, there you go." Uh, and when I was in New Jersey, it was even worse. The only I went to a nice, I had a reading at a nice uh, tap room in Jersey City, and they had one New Jersey beer on tap, and it was a gimmick beer that was uh, made to taste like funnel cakes. <laughs> and, and I was like, "Okay, New Jersey, you really are not taking yourself very seriously here." So then I get to Maine, and I meet my uh, some of my in-laws for lunch in Portland, and we go to this, it's just a cafe. It's not even a brewery, it's just a cafe. And they've got six beers on tap, I think six or eight beers on tap. And I asked the waitress, what's local? She says, oh, of course they're all local. And she paused, and she looked at the menu, and she said, well, and she cited one of the breweries, and she said, they're actually in South Portland, <laughs> a slightly different city. But And she felt kind of sheepish to admit that it was not from Portland, Maine. So that that to me was Portland in a nutshell. Or yeah. That's Maine in a nutshell. They're yeah. very much like Oregon that way. They they like their beer. They like it local. They like it distinctive. Unlike unlike Massachusetts, where once you get a successful business model, everybody follows it. Nobody has done what Allagash has done. It's yeah. the biggest brewery in the state. It's the most successful brewery in the state. Nobody is doing that. Yeah, you find their beer anywhere you go. Everywhere you go, yeah. they'll have Allagash. I would say that there is the Bissell Brothers brewery in Portland, speaking of Portland, that is doing super New England mm-hmm. hazies really well, too, by the way. Yeah. Uh, but, but yeah, I was really impressed. There were a lot of, uh, a lot of pale ales, uh, some um, ambers and porters, kind of, you know, what I would describe as a little bit old school. Totally. Yeah. Um, yeah. And they have a really cool farmhouse tradition, uh, which we're going to talk about. I have a very special beer we're going to try in a minute, but yeah. Um, we should talk about before we we should finish up with that, uh, so we can taste that beer last. Okay. But I'll, uh, do you have anything more on Maine? That's you have, good. You have Massachusetts. I got my I got my whole Baltimore thing. Oh uh, well, I'll just say that the other uh, beers that I um, had uh, for some reason I ended up 
almost accidentally buying a lot of Hidden Cove beer. Uh, and all I can say is that I bought a bunch of it and I tried a bunch of it and I liked a lot of it. There uh, you go. And where, where is Hidden Cove? Is it a coastal uh, brewery? I want to say Waterville. Yeah, I should have I should have known this before I started. Um, I, I don't know. Okay. It's in Maine. It's a small it's a small state, Jeff. Come on, it can't be far. It, it is a small state. My wife, as, <laughs> as, as the as the listeners may know, my wife is from Maine, and when I met her uh, in Wisconsin, she talked about how giant Maine was, and I. So, she, just, she was really going on and on about it, and I looked it up, and it's about a third the size of Oregon, or maybe like, like a quarter the size. Sure, but here's the difference, right? Like Oregon, you can get from one edge of the state to the other in what, like six hours tops, right? You can bomb through. In Maine, it'll take you like six hours to get, you know, 12 miles, for God's sakes, because of all the little, like, fjords, basically. The, the Maine coastline is a mess. It's true. On the coast, that's true, although there are other ways that you can go faster. Uh and and it is also true yeah, that the entire blend, northern can, part of the state is basically uninhabited. So it feels blend. like it feels like a little country where you've got this giant uninhabited part. So yeah. I, I get it, I get it, but still, it's not that big. People. Anyway, I I did uh, pick up this Hidden Cove beer that was a mang like an, a mango hazy IPA. Yeah. And I had one of the most interesting beer drinking experiences with that beer because I, I think I told you this. The first sip I had was horrible. I was like, oh, this is the worst beer I've ever had. <laughs> I don't think I can drink this. And then. And then, of course, I've poured. I'm going to drink it, so I've poured it. <laughs> uh, and then the second beer, the second drink I had, I was like, "Well, maybe I was a little taste. This isn't. This isn't the worst beer. It's. It's not good, but it's not the worst beer." And then by like the fifth sip, I thought it was fantastic. It was really interesting because it was such a strong. There were so many strong flavors in there. At first, they felt discordant, but it took a while for my palate to adjust. And once my palate to it adjusted, then they were all like very much in harmony. And I thought it was absolutely fabulous. This is a case in point why I don't do tasters anymore. And you, you got to have a whole damn beer yeah, to know what yeah. it tastes like. And and just to back up my point, I gave this to my cousin, and she had exactly the same experience. Where at first she's like, "Ooh, uh, I don't know about this," and you want you want to finish this for me. And then I was like, "Well, try a couple more sips." And by the end, she's like, "Oh, this is actually really good." So that was an interesting experience. Very cool. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's move on to other parts of. Well, not you weren't in New England. Other parts of the East. Yeah. So I started out in Baltimore, where my one of my. Uh, in-laws live. Sally's a, from an Irish Catholic family, mm-hmm. uh, five brothers and sisters. Most of them are in New England, but um, Doug, brother, uh, her brother Doug, is in the Baltimore area. Uh, I was in Baltimore last year to see the uh, Guinness Brewery, who uh, sponsors my bo- blog. They have their $80 million facility in Baltimore, and I went there to see it before it opened. Right, I So I really that. wanted to get back and see what it looked like after it opened. And while I was there, I got to see a little bit of Baltimore, and I really fell hard for that city. That is one of the coolest cities in, on the planet, as far as I'm concerned, um, very much like uh, Portland in in key ways. Um, <laughs> it's a very insular place. They do things yes, their own way. It's definitely insular place. Uh, you know, they there's always something. Um, you know, uh, they have Old Bay seasoning, for example. The very first thing I encountered when I woke up in the morning and I had my breakfast and. Uh, I went to the. I, I was looking at the menu and there was this word Old Bay didn't say seasoning so I didn't, I didn't even know what category it was uh, and it turns out it's the seasoning which is of course characteristic of, of uh, Baltimore everywhere I went I kept finding things like that that were p- particular to Baltimore including the accents wh- of which there are many mm-hmm. <laughs> I have not learned them all but um, uh, it so it just feels really like uh, you know inward looking and quirky and uh, kind of a little bit down on its luck a little bit chip on its shoulder um, I think Washington DC gets way more attention and so yep. it's sort of that Portland Seattle thing but you get you get a Baltimorean talking and 
pretty soon they, their inner pride comes out and they're, they're, uh, they're going. And in terms of beer, I think it's also got one of the be- best beer scenes in the world uh, or in the country. Certainly one of the most underrated. In downtown Baltimore, in uh, kind of the nicer area, I think it's called Federal Hill, which is where all the rich people used to live, on the hill up above the harbor, because only the you know the dockmen would have been down on the harbor. So this is the old part of the town. There's this place called Brewer's Art, mm-hmm. which was founded in uh, 96, and it's in this incredibly elegant old rich guy's house, which has been converted to a brew pub. It is easily the most elegant brewery I've ever been in, <laughs> in my life. You walk in, and the the bar is the old parlor, and the bar is actually built in front of what was the fireplace, and there's this giant uh, chandelier, and it's super elegant, and the dining room is the old dining room, and it's got incredibly nice uh, carved wainscoting and coved, carved ceilings, and it's just it's incredibly elegant. Uh, and they make wonderful, uh, mostly Belgian-style ales, mm-hmm. although they had a couple of Pilsners, I think, for the summer, because Baltimore is really, really, really hot and mm-hmm. in the summer. And it's hard to drink a, a, a triple in the middle of summer. So they have some nice pilsners there going on now. But um, definitely one of the best stops ever. If you're in Baltimore, you, you you can't go to Baltimore without going to the Brewer's Art. That's my, my, my big tip of the day. But I also went to Brookfield Beer Farm. Uh, Doug, Sally's brother, took us there. Mm-hmm. And this is a, more of a thing on the East Coast than it seems like than it is on the West Coast where there are – it's a farm and – they make beer. And so it was this cool, even though it was hot, it was a kind of sprawling area with people outside on the grass with dogs and kids. And they even had hop farm, which was a woeful scene. Hops do not grow well in the <laughs> it seems like. Um, they were they were grim little things that were about knee high. And it was, you know, whatever. I remember the picture you posted. Yeah, it was it was really it was depressing. The cool, the cool thing about that was they got them from I think Crosby Hop Farms. They got they got, they got their rhizomes from a hop farm here in Oregon, uh-huh. and they, they were proudly talking about all of that. And um, turns, so, turns anyway. out climate matters. Yeah, I think climate matters. <laughs> but they made some great beer, and they did have one IPA that was made with their locally grown hops, which I really liked. Yeah, uh, that was fun. And then of course I went to the Guinness Brewery, uh, which is this eighty million dollar thing, and uh, certainly certainly worth stopping in if you want the. A big spectacle. It is quite a thing. Yeah. Uh, a really r- gorgeous facility. It's built in an old rick house, which is where, uh, a warehouse for aging liquor. Right. Which has been converted um, into a multi story uh, beer Disneyland. Yeah, it looks like a fantastic place, but are they brewing good beer? Yeah, they're brewing really good beer. Um, they are, you know, uh, less than a year old. They were having their year anniversary. Actually, they're just now past a year. So I think they're experimenting and learning. Uh, what works and what doesn't work. Right. Um, yep. So like every other brewery, they had uh, some beers that I thought, eh, not so great. Some hits and misses. Yeah, not not badly made, just like, well, you know, yeah, they had 20 taps. And Are they going for every style right now? They're going for every style. Yeah. And uh, I, that that brewery, you know, you, you cut you cut a vein of a uh, uh, Guinness brewery and, and uh, a dark ale comes out. And I really think those are their best beers and continue to be. So I really enjoyed their... <laughs> Their milk stout, milk stout. Uh, I think that's their. I think that, it's either a milk or a uh, oatmeal stout. One of one of those was really nice. Do they brew the the regular stout there? No, they have five beers. They always import from St. James Gate, which are the I classics. Figured. Yeah, and, I uh, figured. <laughs> they they declare that they uh, have the best pint of draft Guinness that you can find in in, in North America. So if you want to test that hypothesis, probably true. I would like check to check it out. Yeah, hey uh, Guinness, I'd like to do that. 
<laughs> I think I think he's hinting at something there. Yeah. Well, you can make a phone call, right? I can make a phone call. <laughs> we'll see if we can make that happen. But if you want to really do it right, you got to go in the middle of summer so you can see what no. Baltimore is like in the no. summer. That's, no. I'd like that's to, like for a real. No, I like to do it maybe October. That sounds good. Yeah. Yeah. Because it also right. gets cold. By the way, I'll just say that there are you know most tourists to the East Coast who want to see East Coast cities, they'll stop in D.C. and they'll stop in New York. But they're actually quite different. Uh, than these old East Coast cities like Baltimore, Providence, Boston, uh, that and you're very pleased because you, wow. Well, well done, my friend. Yeah, man. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> this was a warm bottle of beer that he took out into 90-something degree heat uh, with wrapped in ice packs, is that what he did? Yep. And somehow managed to chill it. Oh, I see that it has a cork in it. Oh, that's going to be interesting. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I look at our producer. Yeah. So in the meantime, I'll, I'll just talk about our uh, bit about East Coast cities, which are uh, the cities themselves. These old East Coast cities have really distinct cultures and are very parochial. So Boston, of course, I mean, famously, sure. Boston is Boston and different parts of Boston are very distinct and different. And you identify yourself by what neighborhood you're from, not not that you're from Boston and so on and so forth. Uh, and um, what's interesting about that bottle, by the way, is it has both a cork and a cap. I know. Which is why I was fooled. Yeah. yeah. I've never seen that in my life. I, I have seen that's, it, but... That's the first time I've ever seen it. thought maybe it would just pop out for us, but <laughs> didn't do that. <laughs> that's when you need your Swiss Army, the old Swiss Army knife that's with a corkscrew on it. My friend uh, Joe was here. He'd, he'd have us taken care of. Yeah. And so uh, I'll just quickly talk about my experience in Boston since I wasn't really doing a beer experience in Boston, unfortunately, uh, which I'll just say a couple things, which is... Um, uh, my father was born and raised in Boston, and all his family still there, which tells you something about the parochialism of Boston. Uh, I have yeah, all all S- Sally's family except for her and one brother is still there too. Yeah, my dad was the big, crazy black sheep who went west and never came back. I actually tried to come back once and decided to stay. It west. didn't take. Yeah, it didn't take. <laughs> uh, uh, anyway, so I was served a lot of local beers. So local beer scene is definitely so in these not particularly beer enthusiast people, but just sort of your typical middle-class household fridge stock with craft beer. And the beer I had was uh, was largely um, New England-style, sort of IPA pale, very juicy, uh, a little sweet relative to what I'm used to in the Northwest. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was all consistent. And then the other thing I'll say is just that, uh, once again, it didn't stop. <clears throat> this is becoming a theme of all of the passerby experiences I have in beer. Uh, but we were um, walking the Greenway, the the park that was uh, created by the fact that the, they uh, did the big dig and, and buried the, the, the highway. Um, <laughs> apparently we, got, we, apparently got, we have success. We have success. Hey, Good look at that. Screws. Wow. That the, oh, that is beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we'll talk about that. We haven't even talked about the beer yet, but let me just finish and say yeah, that, finish that on the Greenway, there is a Trillium beer garden. Uh, and I think Trillium just probably this leases the land. But and, and regardless of the beer itself, uh, the beer garden is really delightful. It's under in uh, under a whole bunch of shady trees and uh, in a really nice spot. And um, it reminded me uh, very much of being in Munich and and seeing beer gardens there. It's obviously a different style of beer garden, but just the idea that in the middle of the city you'd have this little oasis under trees where you could sit and drink beer. And uh, I really thought that was delightful. Are you any better at this than I am? Yes. <laughs> Undoubtedly, yes. 
<laughs> seeing what seeing what you've already done, yeah, <laughs> there's no question that I'm better at that than you. But that's okay. You're I think you're going to accomplish your goal. All right. All right. So tell us about this beer while you're struggling with the court. Here, I'm going to give it to you. I'll right. tell you about it. Yeah. Uh, you really should. You really should pass that over before disaster falls. The last brewery I want to talk about is a brewery that were it located in uh, Vermont would be known by by all. Uh, it's called Oxbow. I'm going to put this under Edwina here. There you go. There you go. <laughs> uh, it's called Oxbow. Did I just say that? You uh, did. And it's a it's a it's a rural uh, brewery that's located in the woods. So you you it's near where we were staying on the coast, and you uh, you drive inland into the forest, and after about six miles, you're just in the middle of the forest. There's this little opening, and there's this brewery there, and it's this cool. It's got a cabin. And it's just this extraordinary little place. Uh, and they do saisons and wild beers. And they, in fact, have a cool ship just sitting outside the brewery. We'll uh, include a photo of that. And uh, it just has one of the, the the nicest feels. There's a pond out back. They have a they they're apiarists, so they have their own um, honey, which they use in in a beer de mel. And they do this wild stuff. So I picked up one of the bottles of their spontaneous beer, which we've just poured out. So Newcastle, Maine. Newcastle, Maine. Wow. Which it's... is which is uh, located uh, near. I can't remember any of the places. That it's we're a at. small state. Can't be far away. We go. No worries. <laughs> it's a small state. It's on the coast. <laughs> oh yeah. There's not much coastline. So. So this is spontaneous. So let's let's give it a go. It smells, uh, it smells spontaneous. Amazing, yeah. Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> hmm. It's uh it's got a lot more malt character than I expected. It's quite hazy. It, it's um Ooh, it's dry. Let's see if let's see if we got any details here. I just brung this thing back without without uh, much lead up. So it, it says on the uh, uh, the label that it is spontaneously fermented, made with Maine grains, which is very cool. They have oh. one they have one of their, their products that's made entirely out of Maine ingredients. Nice. Uh, aged hops. Uh, aid, uh, it was, they, they cooled the wort overnight at the cool ship, which we'll put a photo of. And aged in oak, which of course we knew but it does not say how long and it's so. a blend of 2016 2017 oh is that right so well, it's like a it's like a good style yeah so it's it's very nice uh it's got um i like this it says enjoy within 10 years <laughs> <laughs> yeah just a small window yeah. there you gotta try to squeeze it yeah into. try not to let it spoil <laughs> uh it has um I think it has some fresh, fresher beer in here because the uh, it's not it's not super acidic. There's not a lot of like really dense, funky, no old aged barnhouse dry That's austere. About exactly what I was gonna say. Beer. It's not really barnyardy at all. It's quite clean. And there's got there's quite a bit of uh, fruitiness, which I I take our um, esters that that Brett produces in in abundance. Mm-hmm. But just but not super um, abundant. Just. So are you getting something that's kind of spruce, piney in there? Mm. Hold on. Is Let that? Am I just influenced because it it is was fermented in the forest, and that's what I'm thinking? No, it does have kind of a. 
yeah, I don't know that I would have identified it as spruce and piney, but I know what you're talking about. It's or, very tannic and arboreal. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I would say conifer. Oh, all right. Yeah, it's yeah, not. Yeah. yeah, it's conifer. All right. Uh, yeah. It's nice. I could be convinced that it's there. It's oh, it's hundred percent there. That you can't taste it doesn't mean it's not there. Hmm. <laughs> It's amazing. These are always a little bit of a wild card. It's amazing. You open how, a spontaneous beer, and you don't. Know. It could be. It could be like gasoline. You don't know. Yeah. That's very nice. No, it is very nice. Yeah, it's very drinkable. It's very dry. It's very dry, but it's um, uh, those esters give it a, a fruity balance, so mm-hmm. it does. It's not austere, and it does have that. Yeah, I don't. I'm, t- I'm a hard time pinning it down. I know exactly what you're talking about. It's I'm not it, sure I exactly say piney, but yeah, it, it's 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 wild Maine East, so that's the terroir we're getting. Yeah, that. that's what I love about these proliferating spontaneous beers as they all of course taste unique because mm-hmm. they are I think I, I think I would I think I'd be happy with saying it's got a hint of juniper all right yeah there we are uh it's amazing how many spontaneously fermented beers are starting to come out now. I know we just had one from crux the other day so yeah I know the other day it's starting to be that's <laughs> very well done mm. oh that's not my phone no that's my phone so let's let's see where we are here uh okay so uh what else we want to talk about Maine I think that's it. We should probably move on to the to the uh, mailbag and Sherpa mailbag. Um, uh, so last, so to wrap that up, go to Maine, drink go, beer. Go to Maine, and definitely it's it's really far and out of your way because you got to drive all the way up to Newcastle, Maine, and then drive into the forest. But I'm telling you what, this is as cool as Hill Farm said or any place you've ever been. The beer is exceptional, and it was remarkably unmolested by humans when we were there. Uh, if it had been in in uh, Vermont, I think people wouldn't be going crazy for it. I don't. For some reason, Maine does not have the cachet that Vermont. Does. Well, it's far. Yeah, it's far, away, especially for East Coast. Even though for East, for people like in Boston, it's not that far. I mean, it's it, they they think it so far away that yeah, it's amazingly un untrampled. It's 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 a shame. There's a lot of people there, but I mean, Go to a, a lot. Yeah, it is one of the coolest places I've ever been. Amazing little out of the way place in the forest. Little you can sit there drinking beers in a little cabin and they're amazing so do it Maine beer company's good stop too also great and then port and, you, and portland's a great place just to you hit Maine beer co and then you're two hours away from or maybe less than that maybe an hour away from uh, oxbow so yeah. you make a day of it you have a great time and you're only what you know 10 minutes outside of portland to get to Maine beer company so that's right so you hit bissell brothers okay beer geeks here's your here's your itinerary <laughs> you hit your bissell brothers uh uh-huh. you drive further north you hit your uh main beer co you drive a little bit further north you're in oxbow and you've had a wonderful day you've, you've been to three of the the finer breweries on on the east coast so yeah go do that yeah in a few hours in portland you can hit lots of things by the way uh we can't it i would be yeah an allagash too while you're in portland i would there you be go. an allagash yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. how we forget that yeah. and the other thing is you really <laughs> <laughs> and this is an oldie but goodie and uh to me the taste of maine is the taste of geary's mm, that's true it's yeah. true uh which is a very english style malt forward uh and totally let me put it this way it's got a very nice dollop of butter on top it's true it's got that uh a very intentional dash at all yeah which was the old taste the taste of old maine yeah but it's kind of moving away from that now i know but that's i still nostalgia always brings me back to geary's when i go there it's true okay so mailbag uh let me do the first one because it's to you so uh dave losh i hope i'm getting that right maybe losh uh says hi jeff i really enjoyed the recent interview with larry sador fresh out of college in the mid 80s i moved to olympia and made a habit to stop by the brewery every other friday afternoon or so to talk to the brewers that's cool that 
he could do that. Uh, hearing Larry talk about the bone pile got me thinking. I wonder if you follow up with him. Please ask what happened to those gorgeous copper kettles that were in the Olympia Brewery before S.A.B. Miller closed it down and took them away. So, uh, yeah, next time we talk to Larry, we can ask him, but... But we could also throw it out to Hivemind. I wonder uh, if people know. Yeah. yeah, there's a lot of people out there who might actually know the answer to that. Maybe it's at a brewery somewhere. Maybe someone's using that. Yeah, you wouldn't think that S.A.B. Miller would have actually repurposed them somewhere else. You'd think they would sold them off, right? Well, they might have repurposed them. They might have put them... I mean, they're, they're uh, apparently big, they must beautiful be huge. copper things. Yeah, like yeah. they're not... Probably 250-barrel breweries or something. Uh, uh, brew house but yeah anyway let us know if you see that yeah what we did what we did find by the way well probably we mentioned this i'm sure right when we talked about boneyard uh was the old burt grant copper in the parking lot of yeah of boneyard right which was cool but apparently not super useful like it had it's it had its issues yes uh, whereas i bet that only one was pretty badass yeah exactly all right, uh, this next one is actually for you, so you, we did that perfectly. So I'll read it for you. It comes from Jason Wells, um, who I follow on Twitter. Uh, interesting guy on Twitter, so follow Jason. He writes, I've been thinking about Patrick's suggestion slash question to Gary Fish about using their Roanoke facility for a new local brand of beer. Isn't that pretty much the exact model that Craft Brew Alliance has? In their case, the brands were independent before their merger, but now operate under single ownership with regional facilities and branding. Would it be fair to compare how that has worked for CBA versus the Sierra Nevada model of opening an East Coast facility under the same name? Hmm. Well, so sort of yes and sort of no. As he mentioned, CBA is mostly this a, a collection of breweries that were bought, that established local breweries that were bought. And my impression, you can tell me because you're more familiar with the uh, the Widmer brothers than I am is that the CBA is sort of taking these local brands and trying to build kind of a national portfolio with them. And as I know, the Kona brand is the one that's really been successful. Uh, I imagine that sort of Hawaiian beer kind of theme travels well. Right. Right. Because that's a very distinct thing. Uh, so I guess the idea is that, so that's a little bit different, like different series of brands and some stick with consumers and some don't. What I was really talking about is is creating uh, local beers that stay local, uh, and so I think of that distinctly uh, as distinct from from the craft, the CBA model. So what I was thinking of is um, instead of trying to sell the Schutz beer in the East Coast, uh, creating uh, just creating an, an entirely new brand, a new brewery uh, that had its own identity. Now that is a risky and expensive proposition because you don't know whether it's going to take. But the idea uh, I had is that these local people really want to consume local. And I don't think that turning a local brand into a national brand is a, is a winning model right now. I think that's all right. Uh, I, I agree with everything you said. So I have nothing to add. <laughs> so Sierra Nevada is an interesting case. Uh, they're still chugging along and doing pretty well. So, uh, But I would say that's almost the exception that proves the rule. Yeah, Sierra Nevada was a national brand for decades before they right. opened that brewery, which is very different from Deschutes, which is not a national brand even today. Yeah, and even then, I mean, Sierra Nevada had its own problems. They just have such a, a strong identity, I think, from the beginning. Uh, and they keep producing good beer, and now, you know, and now they've found another winner in, in the Hazy Little Thing. And Yeah, 
So, uh, so I, uh, so I think it's different than, you know, this is also kind of the, the high end strategy of Anheuser-Busch to buy up all these local breweries, but they're kind of following a little bit more what I would describe as the local model. Like, I don't think they're taking 10 barrel and trying to sell it all over the East Coast. What they're trying to do is, well, maybe they are. Yeah, I don't (laughs) know. Jeff's rolling his eyes. I Uh, I don't know. It was a, a, uh, I'm not sure. If they're smart, I would uh, just try to keep 10 barrel as a really relevant uh, regional brand. Right. I I do think that's what they're trying to do. Although I think also if you go to a TGI Fridays in Tallahassee, you might see some of their. Yeah, it's possible, right? There, I don't know. Yeah, because there is, I'm sure there's, there's a crossbreeding or bleeding over, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. So, uh, so that's what I would. That's how I would respond to that. I think it's a little bit different than the CBA model, uh, and a little bit different than the high end model at, at Anheuser Busch. Um, and I'd love to see someone try it, but yeah. it's high risk, and so a big company like Deschutes probably isn't. We're, we're ready to take. We're ready to like take that. risks with other people's money. Yeah, oh, absolutely. It's, it's like really easy for us to roll think the dice. That. Roll the dice, Gary. Come on. <laughs> uh, what do you have to lose? <laughs> <laughs> we're happy to spend your money on our hairbrain hairbrain schemes. All right. Well, we, all of a sudden we're gone long. So let's let's get let's get this thing done. Uh, we didn't actually have an explicit Sherpa, but I think we can both agree that Main Beer Company is something to f- to search out. Yeah, and I would recommend, uh, I'll throw in my Oxbow plug, they have a wonderful, um, I'm not going to remember the name now, but they're, it's their kind of, uh, one of their, their more popular beers, which is made with all main ingredients. It's a, kind of a petite saison, and it's really delightful. Yeah, and, for that one. and we haven't mentioned it, but both Will and I are huge fans of Maine Beer Company's Peeper Pale Ale. And consider that a tease for next week's episode, Peeper Pale Ale. <laughs> all right. A few words going out. Please subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcast. Don't forget to rate us. Don't forget to review us. That helps other listeners find the show. And we are on Stitcher now. I've confirmed it. It's done. Look us up. I don't even know what Stitcher is, but that's a good thing. It's it's a major uh, podcasting platform. Sweet. Yeah. <laughs> It was it was malpractice that we weren't on there before. Okay, we'd love to hear from you, so please send us your question. Uh, that doesn't happen automatically, like we don't just show up everywhere. No, apparently we don't, uh, and that we didn't know that is also malpractice. I got us on iTunes. That's I'm, my job's done. <laughs> you did you did well. Yeah, thank you. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. Please send us your questions or comments. Uh, easiest way is to email Jeff at beervanablog dot com. You can visit us on social media. We now have our own Twitter tweet Twitter. Twitter, yeah, we tweet. And we tweet at we tweet at at beer my, pod tweet my, tweet handle. Simon is just like Twitter. Thank you. We have our own Twitter. Thank you. We have our own Twitter <laughs> at <laughs> at beer on a blog. Uh, no, getting, at beer on a pod. Yeah, were you getting withering uh, teenage God. looks? Oh my God! All right, so Jeff <laughs> blogs at beer on a blog, and he tweets at at beervana. I tweet at at beeronomics, and we both tweet at beer on a pod. Beer on a pod. Yes, we All both right. do. Well, I'm taking the fine. I'll, yeah, that's good because I'm going to drink the very last bit of the lunch. I know. I can see. I'm going to. I, I can I'm see the drink. gleam in your IPA loving eye. Because I want to say this, I'm going to drink your lunch, Jeff. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> can that's I? Brilliant. Can I get another one of those eye rolls, please? <laughs> uh, cheers, Jeff. Cheers, Patrick. Cheers.